Hello and welcome to the Court of Alex podcast. Today we have not one, not two, but three cat people ready to go. I'm V and I'm here with Joe. Hello! We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps so that you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or aren't interested in reading. So to start off, Joe, would you like to cover some of the comics that came out this week? Sure. So, I have a mix between the past couple weeks and this week, just because I really couldn't find one comic I can fully spend a segment talking about. Right. So I just figured I can kind of just run through the few that I read within, like, the span of Tuesday and today. And I know that you saw a couple of these with me, Mm -hmm. because I just had to tell you about them. Right. (laughs) So... Uh, starting off, which I know you're a fan of, is Catwoman number 29. This is still being done by Ram V, mm-hmm. and the art is still being done by Fernando Blanco. Mm-hmm. And, like, you filled it in for me, because I couldn't remember what happened in Catwoman. Because I want to say this is either the first or second issue this year for Catwoman, before um, Future State. I feel like this is the second one after Future State, yes. So, I couldn't really remember anything in it, so... I mean, the whole time with Ram V's run, I've just kind of felt like it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's nothing really that I'm like super excited to read the next one for, but I am curious to see where the story is going. Ironically, it's moving pretty slow. And here's the thing, if Black Cat didn't exist and mm-hmm. set our standards so high, <laughs> I think he would have given this a, maybe a higher rating. Probably. I mean, like, I give it a 5 out of 10, which is like... Because we wanted to do, like, the 10-star rating for this podcast, Mm -hmm. but everything, for the most part, is out of five stars, and a lot of these I consider, like, a three out of five. It's very down the middle for me. It has good characterization. The story is compelling enough that I want to pick up the next issue. Right. But in terms of action or dialogue, I don't know. Like... It's a little plotting, and I know that Ramview did the Future State Catwoman, and... I don't think anybody in the podcast raved about it like I did. I was into it. I was there with you. I just didn't rave about it as much because I wanted you to, to talk about it. <laughs> I think <laughs> listeners will be like, okay, I remember Train Heist, Batman was there rescuing orphan children. She was in her element. I will say that uh, the future state stuff worked well in that issue, mm-hmm. and I would say that is probably the only issue that was actually helped by the future, in my opinion. <laughs> like, the future tech actually added instead of subtracted from the story. Yeah. Now Rambi is back in the realm of... Lestron outfits. <laughs> <laughs> it's the mainstream now, and he doesn't have... I'm sorry to uh, Fernando Blanco, but it's not an Otto Schmidt uh, art no. style. And for all of my hatred of Otto Schmidt's noses, I'm sorry... Uh, everything else is superior and amazing, and I just eat it with a spoon. Like, I love his <laughs> art so much. This one, the art isn't quite there, but it's not offensively bad no. either. So I want to say, like, you know, it's it's hard to come off that high and then go back to Catwoman, and she kind of has the same problems before we started the future state, mm-hmm. which is she is leading an army of children. <laughs> which, right. you know, never a good look to have child soldiers. However, she does explain in the previous issue that the reason she has all these kids or that she's training them to be soldiers isn't for her own gain. She's teaching them to defend themselves because Alleytown is just that kind of a town 
where if they don't learn how to look out for themselves and their neighbors, the cops and the thugs and the costumed villains are just going to walk all over them and slaughter them. Right. And so they need to have that self-preservation that she had at that age. Mm -hmm. So she defends her decision, and I think in context, it kind of works. And it worked enough for me where I was just kind of like, I'll go with you. Right. But we're back on the, I'm trying to stake my territory, I have to make an example... That the previous issue was very heavy on the aspect of her trying to create a space for her between the cops and between the criminals mm-hmm. so that neither are walking all over her, but she's sort of establishing herself as the new queen of Alleytown. Right. And then I know with this issue, too, they're introducing a new character, which when I first saw the new character, it reminded me a lot of the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. That is exactly that what I thought. Ghost, right? Yes! She is so similar. It is very dead on. And right at the end of the comic, we do get a nice Selena rescuing the Riddler. Yes! <laughs> I love Selena-Riddler team-ups. I love when Selena teams up with any costumed villain mm-hmm. from the rogues gallery. However, in this, like, she sets it up like, oh, I was casing the people I worked with. When I was working with uh, the Riddler... During, uh, I think, the Joker War, um, she was like, I knew he was using. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you can never trust these people. You have to always keep an eye out. You have to watch them. But she says that. Mm -hmm. She talks a good game, but how she acts is always like... She protects Riddler constantly. She's always pulling his bacon out of the frying pan. Yeah, I think we've described it once before of, like, that annoying little brother that just doesn't leave you alone. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that dynamic. I I love them together. And they're like the two rogues gallery villains that I think the most prominent ones that aren't technically crazy. Like they don't end up in Arkham. They both will just end up in prison when they get caught. Yeah, like Riddler's shown up in Arkham a couple of times that we've seen. And I don't know, I'm, I'm more interested to see it just because the last rendition, aside from the Joker War, that we had of Riddler was that weird abomination of him at one of the beginning issues of James Tinian's run. Well, I remember there was some debate about whether that was... Because when we went back and, like, I scoured the gift, mm-hmm. um, I want to say event where they were each given these ludicrous gifts to make themselves into monstrous creatures. Oh, right, during Year of the Villain. Right. But I didn't see anything happening to Riddler where his spine turned into a question mark. And then I realized, you know what? This is an artistic choice. And it wasn't a good one. That was was a a Gil and March one. Yep, that was a Gil and March choice. Mm -hmm. I'm glad (laughs) that got overlooked. (laughs) Listen, he's very creative. He has some glaring problems in his art, and that is just that his art distracts from the story, Mm -hmm. and usually in a really detrimental way. Yeah. I don't know. Other than that, like, I'm still going to pick it up, obviously. It's one of the top comics for DC right now for me. That's kind of sad. I know. (laughs) Well, they did reveal a very big bomb in the last issue that I think they brought back here, but just a little bit. In Alleytown, there was a drug dealer who was sort of moving in on Catwoman's turf and causing problems that she had to make an example of. However, we found out at the end that one of the ingredients in the drugs was a captive and potentially lobotomized poison ivy. 
Oh, right. Then they're, like, threatening to kill her? They're going to incinerate her. So the clock is ticking for Ivy. They found out a way to synthesize the um, chemical that she was emitting. So they had her basically soaked in, uh, you know, the gamer girl bathwater soak. And kind of imagine Wolverine in one of his tanks. (laughs) But it's a bigger tank and it's green. (laughs) They're just pulling out her bathwater and using it in drugs. However, they now have found a way to synthesize it so they don't have this very hot item on their hands. Mm -hmm. She is a ticking time bomb because if she gets free, she murders everyone. If one of her many friends finds her, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. So keeping poison ivy for any length of time is a really high risk thing to do. So what they're going to do is they're just going to incinerate her. They're being very cautious right now. The only way that something could go wrong is if the Riddler manages to tell Catwoman what he knows. Right. Which I'm definitely curious to see. I am a little interested in this new ghost ripoff. I think they call her the White Witch. And she's not after Catwoman, but she is trying to assassinate the Riddler. And we don't really know who it is who's trying to kill the Riddler or why. But there's, like, a lot of mysteries. This could potentially be an interesting story, but right now, I agree with you. It is a little lackluster. Yeah. But in terms of, like, the digital side of things, then we also have Challenge of the Super Sons. How is that? It's really not bad. I mean, it's, so it's done by Tomasi, and the art is done by Max Rayner. It takes place where John is still a kid, so nice. it... <laughs> it prefaces like this is a flashback. Tomasi's not having any of this. No, he's like, no, we're, we're going to give the readers what they want. They want young John and Damien teaming up together again. Yes, we do. Premise basically is that during one of their adventures, they ran into some witch or like psychic person. And she told them about this scroll that would be predicting the deaths of future Justice Leaguers. And it would be up to them when that scroll activates to prevent those deaths. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so this is what this whole adventure is about. That thing becomes activated and it just shows like a logo of whoever they have to try and stop. And the person will still die if they find out that John and Damien are trying to save them or if they're just flat out told from John and Damien that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. So they have to do it in like a very sneaky and adventure-esque way. (laughs) So each issue so far, this is uh, 10 issues now, each one focuses on a different Justice Leaguer, one or two at a time. What was the most recent one? Uh, The most recent one had to do with Aquaman and Cyborg. That sounds fun. It was really fun. The Aquaman one, he was going to get attacked by like basically a baby kraken. (laughs) from the depths and it's like poison barbed and things like that and in order for them to like go to all these different justice leaguers faster damien hacked one of superman's spaceships (laughs) that he would use sometimes for uh space exploration or underwater because it has like metal hands that you'll see on some submarines and stuff like that and you know john is just like on the outside flying alongside the ship it's really fun. It's just a really cute little like buddy cop thing. Like you miss seeing these two together. So that's definitely like a solid read. But that's also kind of a roast of Aquaman if he was gonna die from a baby kraken. Well, some of them just they were gonna do like completely different things. And when I say baby kraken, it's not like you know like the size of a person. It's still huge. But he can talk to fish, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And are we gonna say kraken or are we gonna say kraken? 
It's cracking, isn't it? I just keep hearing, what's cracking? I was going to say crack a lacking. <laughs> <laughs> Find out next time on the Court of Alice. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. I, I recommend it. And uh, the last one I really kind of liked was the latest Tom Taylor Nightwing, number 78 with the art from Bruno Redondo, but I know you have different opinions on it. You gave that one a better rating than Challenge of the Super Sons and Catwoman. I actually mistyped the Challenge of the Super Sons. It was a little bit better for me. I did not like the the first half, and that's kind of why the rating is like that. I gave it a 6 out of 10, which would be like a 3.5 I think you and I are going to disagree on this one. Tom Taylor, when he's good, he's great. Mm-hmm. When he's not, he's irritating let's start beat by beat first of all okay i'm gonna try not to like drag it out but okay. in the if the beginning that we both didn't like right dick's childhood is retconned to where he is facing off with a bully but before he shows up a little redhead girl is standing up to the bully right and the behinders commissioner gordon mm-hmm. i'm sorry you're telling me that dick and babs were baby friends well aside from that like his whole inner monologue in the beginning is saying like i don't really particularly like bullies they think Mm -hmm. they're better especially guys like him who were used to having it all and then he talks about himself he's like you know like you have to have thick skin when you're going around with the name dick like (laughs) first of all (laughs) no one made you dick you have options yeah like you want to call this a flashback (laughs) You could have went by any other form of Richard, as we've seen in DC Comics. Tom Taylor said, poor Dick is oppressed because (laughs) of his name. Listen, if you know anything about Dick Grayson, that kid loves that name. Yeah. He runs with that name. That name is fun for him. And I don't like the idea of them being childhood friends. I liked the first season of Gotham. Right. And I liked the Elseworlds idea of, like, Catwoman and Batman being buddies as children. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, in continuity, like, please don't do this to me. Yeah. I don't like the, the series where they, like, spin off and be like, Hercules and Meg actually knew each other prior <laughs> to the movie. They just had amnesia. No, stop that. But um, there were other scenes. Like, like the following scene is where <laughs> some bullies in Bloodhaven are Yeah, drunken varsity guys are literally kicking a puppy for fun. Which, <laughs> no. A little on the nose. Yeah. He's totally going to kill the dog. He's going to John Wick the hell out of the dog. Well, he already gave it a name on Twitter, which is more of a red flag because he wants to get you even more attached. Yeah, this definitely made me feel like one of Tom Taylor's little tricky tricks. Mm -hmm. But don't even brush past that scene with the dog because these guys in varsity jackets are kicking this dog and Dick is like, I'm disgusted that you're kicking a puppy. And they're like, this is just us blowing off steam. Okay, playtime's over again. The varsity student pulls out a gun (laughs) and tries to shoot the puppy. Like, this is a normal everyday occurrence that you can just do. And then, of course, Dick reacts as shocked as a person would. Freaks out. (laughs) The whole thing was so, I don't know, lazy. Not gonna lie, though. When I first read it, I couldn't even process the fact that he pulled the gun on a dog (laughs) because I was still shocked by the fact that these guys were literally kicking a puppy down the street like it was a can. Yeah, and they actually just show it. It's not like we see the the kicks off screen. It's just like we're watching him literally kick a 
rolling it puppy. It was so, like, it really hit me. <laughs> it didn't hit me because it was really fake and artificial, and I'm sorry I can't suspend disbelief to this point. And then they pull out a gun like he's not going to do anything. Mm. Like, like he's just going to go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, if playtime is over, I guess you should eliminate the dog. Like, this is normal behavior instead of, like, running when they get caught because they know it's a bad thing. Well, I think it's because, like, they had him outnumbered. It was a weird, surreal thing mm. written by a man who writes like he's never left his home. I felt really confused by the worldview of this individual, mm. and I, I didn't really feel like I could believe anything he said from that point on. Sorry, I'm stepping on your story. That's okay. I wasn't really going to cover it much. Okay, so he goes back home. He owns an entire apartment block. He's worried about having to kick out the tenants because he, he's not making enough to cover it, and the tenants obviously don't pay him enough to, right. for what it's worth. He gets uh, attacked by a girl with red hair. He didn't get attacked. He saw the lights were on. I just saw them, like, pushing each other around. He falls on the bed. Oh. He, he got beat up by her. Okay. He got beat up by a girl, and then he goes, Oh, it's you, Babs. And she's like, Ha ha, the beating you up part was a bonus. <laughs> and then she finds out he has a dog. And then she says... She's there to deliver a will from Alfred. Right. And we also got to see some flashbacks of Dick with Alfred before mm -hmm. this. Just them kind of bonding. So we get to hear um, this really sweet letter. Apparently, Alfred updates his will every year. This letter was immaculate. It yeah. was everything I wanted. If this story was just a letter, mm -hmm. I would have been like, great, fantastic. I really like the art in this story, though. You had that giant two-page spread of, like, the cityscape, and you have Dick, like, jumping, and he's, like, in the center of the sun thing. That was, that looked gorgeous. Even the page of him reading Alfred's letter, like, he's sitting out on the fire escape with his legs dangling off, and you still see, like, the beautiful, like, sunset and blood even. It was good art. But, yeah, I mean, just for the letter alone, I think that's what really made me give it the rating I did. I never get, like... That feeling in my chest that Muse normally does whenever she's reading, like, a Wicked and Hulkling thing or whatever. <laughs> I understand the letter. I'm not letting him off the hook for the rest of that. That's All fair. of that was atrocious, and I did not like it. I'm so curious to see. Like, I, I will definitely pick up the next issue. So those are the comics I liked. Okay. I'm going to try to go through most half of these really quickly. Uh, the ones that didn't like, still, sadly, Action Comics and Superman. So those are both being written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, and the art is both being done by Phil Hester, mm -hmm. who used to do the art for Superman in the 2000s, and I really wish it stayed then, because it matches more of like 2000s style. It's very similar to that Green Arrow series oh, that you have. Yeah, yeah. It's not that like it's atrocious or anything like that. It's just basically these aliens opened up a breach in space and they keep trying to attack the earth so star labs is working with the government working with superman and john to fight back these aliens and th keep throwing them through these breaches until star labs can find a way to close it for good okay and as they are doing this john is noticing that every single day that they fight these guys clark is getting more and more hurt he is not able to withstand as much as john is this has John worried because he's like, I was in the future with the Legion of Superheroes. I saw the databanks, and after this specific event, you don't really show up as much in history. This is where you die. I don't want to see you die. But he doesn't tell Clark this, like, in the first couple times. He just 
gives him this story of like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not ready to take your place. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready to be Superman. And then he just kind of flies off and like does the ignore my parent thing. Okay. And then in the next issue, in the Action Comics one, he actually tells Clark about what he saw in the future. That's why he's also trying to be a little more protective of Clark. I don't think that we need to have a story where we need to rush John to be Superman. Mm -hmm. It should be fine for us to just see the two of them work together in this new dynamic. Because the last time Clark and John worked together, like side by side, was when John was 10 or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And then he had this whole five-year jump to now he's a 17-year-old. Right. It'd be nice to see him just trying to work alongside his, his son now and give give him more credit of like, okay, like, you obviously can handle a, a lot more than you used to. Are you suggesting that DC Comics focuses on personal growth over <laughs> angst? A little bit. <laughs> It's like you don't even know them. I guess not. It's angst time, 24-7. I just keep thinking back when. <laughs> but, I don't know, it's it's not good in my opinion. And then they have like a second backup story called Tales of Metropolis, and this one focused on Bibbo, and I honestly couldn't even tell you what was going on in it. It made no sense to me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was really bad. So, that was that one. And then, Flash isn't good either. That was the next one that I read. This was done by Jeremy Adams, and there was actually three artists on this one. You had Marco Santucci, you had Brandon Peterson, and then David Lafuente. I think DC really just needs to have like a podium announcement and just say, we hate Wally West. We want him dead. We want him gone. It would save them money. It would save them so much money. They don't have to pay for all these writers and artists to make up these stories of like, oh, we just got Wally back. Next issue, Wally's gone. Because that is exactly what happens here. We got him back from Flash Forward. We got to see him gain some new abilities during Death Metal. And this whole story arc was about Barry and Wally deciding who's going to be the Flash. And um, Wally just flat out says, I don't want to be the Flash. I have a good thing with my family right now. I got my kids back. Linda's happy. So, Barry, I need you to take my speed away. And Barry's trying to convince him to be the Flash still. And Ollie, of all people, tells Barry, he's like, let the kid do what he wants. That's what's fair. And you want to know what else is fair? Having Roy Harper here instead of Wally. Why? (laughs) Because he doesn't want Roy to be dead. He would rather Wally be dead. Ollie has some of the hottest takes in the entirety of the DC universe. But I don't think that he is crazy enough to say something like that in a room (laughs) with Wally, Barry, Green Lantern, Superman, Hawkgirl, and Dinah. Oh, they get it together. You're telling me that he's going to flat out say to Wally's face, I wish you were dead so my son could be alive. It's not an either or, Ollie. <laughs> what the? You can't just say that to a living person. Like you could trade them. No. What did Wally ever do to you? <laughs> Kill Roy. Oh. Oh. I thought it was like a sidekick dick mention. Oh, contest. no. It was, he it killed was purely Roy. about heroes in crisis. Oh, man. It sounds like Ollie needs to go to some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I know a place. <laughs> He just kept going on about, he's like, 
just take his speed away. Do what he wants. Like, no, seriously. He obviously can't control it. Okay, Ollie's starting to make sense. I get it. Like, <laughs> so... yes, if we had taken his speed away at the beginning, Roy would still be alive. Right. Gotcha. Okay, Ollie, so, I gotcha. Barry goes along with it. As soon as Barry is about to take away his speed, something happens in the speed force and Wally evaporates. <laughs> and only his costume is left behind. <laughs> <laughs> Holly hears about it and goes, yes! (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny enough, too, because so once this happens, Barry can't run. Oh. So who picks him up but Ollie (laughs) in the javelin? Oh. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Barry is saying, like, oh, maybe he's just trapped in the Speed Force. And Ollie's like, yeah, or he's dead. Why do people hang out with him? <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, now that Bruce has no money, they need him. Oh. <laughs> we were asking that last week. Who's bankrolling the Justice League now? Now we know. Oh, it has to be Oliver Queen. He was always Batman's backup. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Why they put up with those insufferable Hitler rants. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, but don't worry. While he's not dead. He got transported to the past, and his consciousness got transported into a caveman. (laughs) As you do. As you do, and he still has super speed. Meanwhile, in present day, Barry, Jay Garrick, Wallace West, and Max Mercury do not. Their connection to the Speed Force is gone. What do you want to bet Jeremy Adams never explains this? The way that they did explain it is that For some reason, Wally always seemed to have a better connection to the Speed Force than anybody else. And so the way Ollie described it is like a wounded animal, that it kind of just brings everything back to itself and kind of heals itself up before it goes out again. So he thinks that the Speed Force took Wally back in a way to like kind of fix it from the inside or something. Because they're thinking he's trapped in the Speed Force, with the help of Mr. Terrific, they try to send a radio wave, like, telephone call pretty much through the Speed Force to connect to Wally. Mm-hmm. Wally is getting chased by a Velociraptor, who also somehow has super speed because he's in the past at the dawn of the dinosaurs. Oh, everyone was touched by the Speed Force then? I, it looks like he was just a Velociraptor within vicinity of Wally, and so they're ex- they're going back and forth exchanging what's going on. Um, they lose connection because all of a sudden the Velociraptor starts shaking with sparks going everywhere. And pretty soon the Velociraptor just blows up with speed force energy. And you see a full page spread of what would normally look like the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. But now Wally killed the dinosaurs. He killed all the dinosaurs? It looks like the same giant bang from space. He identity <laughs> crisis to the dinosaurs now? He identity crisis to dinosaurs. And not only that, he transported himself to the future. And his consciousness is now in Bart Allen's body. I don't understand. This is not explaining <laughs> things, Jeremy. That's the Flash. The Flash 768. Is this the first one after Future State? Yeah. And wasn't Jeremy Adams the one responsible for that monstrosity? I'm pretty sure. Jesus. Yep. Okay. And uh, then the last one I have is Superman Red and Blue number one. I which, that. you know I was excited for this one. Sure, yeah. I was excited for this one when with 
first announced back in December. I have been a big proponent of Batman Black and White. It is a wonderful You got idea. me hooked on that series, and I've been loving the new one. I still have to read the old one still with the art from uh, Sean Galloway in it. Oh, the old ones are so good. I need to read it, but I was so excited for this one, and I didn't get to read it the first week. Just didn't have the time to, sure. and I heard a lot of complaints about it. Overall, it was, like, ranging between two to four stars on, like, Goodreads and all these other, like, interview places. I already knew off the bat it was getting mixed opinions. It was mainly focusing on Clark rather than Superman. Did not know what I was walking into. So right off the bat, first story is from John Ridley, famously writes The Next Batman. He's such a bad writer. And people are like... Oh, well, he wrote, was it 12 Years a Slave? Yeah. I never saw it. I know it was a fan favorite. All I've read are his comics. And I gotta say, this man needs to have his pencil taken away. <laughs> he, sh he should not be writing. He has one story, and boy, howdy, he's gonna write it. Oh my god. It was, okay, so... <laughs> he references a, a world's finest comic uh -huh. from 1970. This is where this is taking place. This is supposed to be like years later, I'm going back to this scene that caused me great trauma. Basically, Clark is in this country called Lubania. He's going to interview this old Lubanian colonel, uh, Nikolai Kozlov, who during World War II held a bunch of different concentration camps. Mm -hmm. So he references this World's Finest comic, story arc, uh, number 192 and 193, when he went there not as Clark, but as Superman. He wasn't allowed to be there because Lubania is not part of the United Nations, so he would be there legally. But he's not going to say no to uh, helping people. Sure. He gets trapped from the Lubanians using radio wave synthetic kryptonite that dampened his powers. Okay. So not enough to kill him, but just weaken him so they can capture him because they wanted to show the world that the West is sending American spies into their country. Gotcha. During the time. John Ridley says that Superman was trapped by them for eight months, starved, tortured, shamed, and humiliated until Batman rescued him eight months later. Slander. Batman would never wait eight months. <laughs> so now Clark is going to interview the same guy that tortured him for eight months mm -hmm. to find out if he has any remorse about the crimes that he's committed well, from way back when because he got pardoned for all that stuff so many years later after he served his time. And the only thing now that he can really get arrested for is, uh, like, capitalist fraud or whatever. That doesn't sound like how concentration camp leaders get treated. Not at all. In the real world. <laughs> and so Clark, in his head, he's daydreaming of the moment he asks this question. It can go one of two ways. It's either he really does feel remorse for all of his crimes and he doesn't know how to apologize. Or wishes that he could continue to do this. Then Superman says that then I can get to do what I've been wanting to do since the day he captured me. And you see him using his heat vision <laughs> to kill the guy. Superman is fantasizing. I don't even know how to describe this sort of like fantasy. But in his, in his mind, he's going to see it one of two ways. The man is a sobbing wreck. 
And he's just, oh, I'm so sorry for all I've done. And Superman just loftily looks over him like, yeah, that's right. Cry. And then the second <laughs> panel, he's murdering the man with his eyes. He's like, yes, I've been wanting to murder you. He keeps bringing up that he was tied up in like humiliating and shameful, mm-hmm. shameful things were done to him. And we're like, I'm, I'm sorry. Is this like a sex thing? Yeah. It looks like a sex thing because we see Master Bison looking <laughs> at him. Street Fighter. He, he looks like, he from the movie, by the way, so like the skinnier Master Bison. Mm-hmm. He has a hawk on his shoulder and Superman's kind of like knelt before him. This is sort of weird and I don't really know why we're watching this. I sank <laughs> when, I, when I read that. And then he's, his inner <laughs> monologue says, he's like, and I would tell myself like, I'm Superman, right? I'm invulnerable. Oh my god. That's the lie I would tell myself for eight months. There's some sort of social messaging that's supposed to be happening in this story, but it just doesn't work. Not for Superman. And again, thank you to the editor who (laughs) said which comic he was referencing, because I didn't even finish this story yet. I went immediately and found those World's Finest comics. Completely different. Really? Right off the fact of... Batman was there almost immediately to rescue him. Yeah, see, I told you. Our boy Batman loves Superman, okay? It was not eight months. It looked like the span of, I would say, no more than two weeks. That's because they didn't like to masturbate in their misery back then. And for the most part, it's like, you don't see him tied in uncomfortable positions. You don't see him getting whipped or hit with a rebar or anything like that. It's more of just a forced labor of, like, digging trenches. And once they were done, they were told to fill the trenches up because it was in the wrong place. And it was like, because this was 1970, it was very hokey. You had a lot of weird dialogue and stuff like that. But... Batman was there from like day one. Batman ends up getting captured alongside Superman and they work together to try and break out of this. And eventually even Perry White gets a visa to go to Lubania to try and break them out. That's freaking awesome. It that was, sounds like a fun adventure story. It was story. such an amazing story. I really recommend reading the originals. Okay, what it, do you remember the numbers? Like, 192 and 193 and of World's, World's Finest. Finest. All right. <laughs> and then I had to go back and finish this disaster. <laughs> and I ranted about it. The rest of this story wasn't really that much better either. The very next story was a guy complaining to Superman about not controlling the drug flow on the streets of Metropolis because otherwise his mom wouldn't have OD'd on heroin. Which is really funny because he met Superman while Superman was fighting Calabac. And he basically is like you know, smiling through it to the kid. He's like, okay, son, you're going to want to go home. And you're like, oh, that's Superman. He's uh, fighting alien invaders with a smile on his face. <laughs> Adorable. And he's trying not to scare the kid. The mm-hmm. kid runs home. Mom is shooting up. Yep. And she tells him to just have hope for a better tomorrow. She's like, I didn't touch this stuff, but then after your father died and I, <laughs> I lost, I had to quit my job because my manager's wandering hands. Like, the world just got tough and I kept you away from this stuff and I'm, you're never going to touch this stuff. But she doesn't say that she's going to stop touching it. She's got wandering hands. But also, like, <laughs> who tells their child that I had to quit the, my job? Because of that manager's wandering hands. Yeah, that's not going to scar a small child. And so, like, Superman 
the main reason why he even gets to talk to Superman so many years later is at his mother's funeral, Superman flies down because he finally read a letter that this guy sent to him about his mom. And he's like, I understand if you're angry with me. He's like, I'm not angry. No, I'm disappointed. <laughs> and then goes into the whole spiel about like, how come you couldn't control the drug flow? He's like, you know, Superman, I love my mom, but she made a bunch of bad decisions. All she really wanted was to be buried in the starlight. So Superman takes her urn, goes into space, I guess the moon is just like sand, where if you apply enough heat, it becomes glass. And he made a glass coffin out of the moon dust. The coffin is shaped like an S, and he puts the urn in there along with the pamphlet from the funeral. Well, first of all, good branding. But secondly, <laughs> I feel like there was... This is another social messaging thing, where it's like, I'm trying to tell the youngsters a thing, but I don't really know what I want to say. Because... Superman, <laughs> I mean, like, if I were Superman, there's, like, a whole lot of things I would want to say to this individual. I would say, first of all, I was busy saving the planet, so I didn't have time to read all of your letters. Also, he chose a picture of him in the... <laughs> in the Fortress of Solitude, reading all these letters. He's and He's just buried <laughs> in them, like, he's freaking Santa Claus. Yeah, he explains, he's like, I have a P.O. box in Washington, D.C., and... Most first of, mistake. Right, first... <laughs> most of it is fan mail. But eventually, I do try to read every single one. But by the time I got to your letter, it was too late. He, he had to read all 63 before he showed up, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. He gets there, and then this kid, sorry, old man, tells him basically he wishes he cleaned up the streets because his mom, this woman that Superman has never met, mm -hmm. she made choices. This man even says she made the choices that she made. Right. So unless Superman's going to walk up and slap the heroin out of her hand every time, it's just not going to work. It's not Batman, okay? He's not going around fighting street-level thugs. He's fighting alien invaders. Yeah. Your mom would be dead much sooner if he hadn't stopped them. He was busy. And you're like, well, I had problems at home. And as an adult, this man is an adult and his mom has still not gone to rehab. You have way more power to influence your family members than Superman. <laughs> so you should take your responsibility. If you didn't have that talk with your mom or run an intervention, not say, well, gee golly, Mr. Superman, if you couldn't just maybe eat all the drugs, <laughs> then we wouldn't have drug problems. And then maybe, you know, there would be other vices like mm -hmm. bad driving. Could you do something about that? Like he's a god and I hate that. Yeah. This was done by Brandon Easton, by the way. He was another future state disaster. It was horrible. Those were the two worst ones out of all the five stories that were in this book. The rest of them, they just were boring and really did not get the characters. They were all trying to show a message of, like, Clark is human, too. He makes mistakes. He has bad days. And he can't always be there. Or he's trying to, like, make amends. But they all went about it the wrong way. I didn't know that Superman was so hard to write. But he seems to be, like, even less understood than when I was little. I was going to say, too, I feel like if this came out last year, or during the first season of our podcast, I feel like you would have probably taken the other guys this side. Because I feel like you've actually warmed up to Superman a little bit throughout this journey. 
I have. <laughs> I listen. I never liked Superman because of the animated Justice League Unlimited, where Superman lost his mind and beat up Captain Marvel. Right. I remember the moment he beat up Captain Marvel, and he did it because he was suspicious of Luther. And Captain Marvel didn't want him to destroy a home for poor people. Mm-hmm. And Superman was like, no, no, I need to destroy this home. And he beat up Captain Marvel, who we all know is a child. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at that point, like, this is what the writers want. This is fun for them. This is disgusting. I'm not going to like this superhero anymore. <laughs> and I didn't. just haven't liked him because I agree he is hard to write because he has so much power. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to write him. He has weaknesses. He actually has a lot of weaknesses. Yeah. Not just attachments, which are like, you know, the double-edged sword, weakness uh-huh. and strength, but you also have magic. Mm-hmm. You also have kryptonite. Not just one kryptonite, but like 5,000 colors of kryptonite <laughs> now. You have other aliens who are stronger than him. Right. So as far as power scaling goes, like, he's not invulnerable, but you have to use him correctly. He's not a meathead. All-Star Superman did a really good job of describing, like, how he's not stupid, but he doesn't flaunt his intelligence. Mm -hmm. He's fine being a subtle, quiet, keep-it-to-yourself kind of person, which is why he's such a great reporter. Right. Because he watches and observes. (laughs) He's an intelligent human being who was raised on Earth, but people kind of want to, like, take him and make him something else to have an original take. And there's nothing wrong with original takes. No. But you do kind of have to follow a few unwritten rules about who Superman is. And I feel like a lot of people these days don't really have that foundation to build on. So they either make Superman extremely unlikable or extremely doughy, Mm -hmm. where he's either too good and he's too perfect. Not like too perfect, but he's like, oh, I just wish I could help. Kind of like... um. John from um, the Future State Superman, which is like, oh yeah, I can stop death itself if I can just <laughs> try hard enough. And you're like, that's a crazy person thing to say, and and I can't go with you here. Mm-hmm. But then you have like the others where he's just like a monster, like we saw in, in Justice League. Justice League. <laughs> I'm an alien. I don't understand human beings. Like. Shut up, you were raised with them. You stop that right now. So, yeah, he's he's supposed to be a salt-of-the-earth, everyday man. Yep. And so when we're confronted with a Superman that is not the Clark Kent, the Superman we know from traditional media, we can't really follow you on your new and improved idea because you're creating sort of a stranger. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's, that's a soapbox. That's why, like... I'm hoping the next issue of that is going to be better because I did see uh, Joshua Williamson is going to be in it and he wrote the Batman Superman series before Gene Luen Yang and mm-hmm. he did great. Yeah, he did Superman. an amazing job. From the entire Rebirth uh, experience for me, aside from Dan Jurgens' take on it, Joshua Williamson is second. And that's really sad because Rebirth started five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You know, even when um, Batman was being controlled by Tom Keane, like, that was a really dark time for mm-hmm. all of us. And then when Detective Comics was run by Tomasi, who clearly had a bone to pick with and Batman. Tomasi, too. Yeah. It was really rough for me because I wasn't getting the Batman I knew and loved. Right. Except for in Batman Superman. That was, like, a tiny little refuge. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. 
So thank you, Joshua Williamson. <laughs> Please cheer me up. <laughs> All right, I got I got a little palate cleanser for you. Okay, so you know, Marvelous Muse isn't here, so I'm right. taking over from Marvel. I read some funny Marvel things, but I'm not going to talk to you about them. Guess what I'm going to talk to you about? Is it our favorite? I have not one cat, but two cats. Oh? Yes. So this is a story of Black Cat number four um, by Jed McKay, the artist by C.F. Villa. Or is it Villa? I don't know. But Jed McKay, if you follow this podcast at all, you know that I just am obsessed with him and his writing style. I have been getting obsessed with him. Yes. (laughs) We have been his two hype men. (laughs) This guy, he knows what he's doing, and he somehow manages to pack an entire feature film into every (laughs) comic. It's a fun standalone, Mm -hmm. or it's a continuity thing. Like, So Black Cat, we get to continue basically where we left off last year Mm -hmm. and just keep this ride going. This one actually went a lot faster. It's not one of the the best, but it did have some really adorable moments. This one is about one of the Hobgoblin's men. Right. What did they call themselves? The Hob Squad? (laughs) That's what I want to call them. (laughs) The Goblin Ghouls. (laughs) The Gigglers. I don't know. The Hobby Lobbies. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) The Hob Heroes. So Lily Hollister is this super rich bratty kid. She's the daughter of the mayor. She is a kind of villain and she got her car exploded by the hobgoblin who is trying to rescue her. Um, (laughs) When she wakes up, she has amnesia and she's told that she can be a hero. And the hob heroes are basically uh, the hobgoblin and his team of weirdos trying <laughs> to make the world a better place. While it's going on, Lily Hollister takes on the name of Queen Cat. And she's like a color-reversed black cat. Mm-hmm. She's got a white suit with a black fur lining. She doesn't want to go by Lily Hollister anymore. She is the Queen Cat. She has no other identity. She knows who she was beforehand, but she doesn't remember it. And she's not going to let anyone, including her family, know that she's still alive. Even though the Hob heroes fell apart, even though the Hob goblin went back to being a goblin, she stayed a hero. Um, but now she has no identity. So she's just doing temp jobs to survive. Mm-hmm. And she was coincidentally there in um, the Black Cat number one. Not from this run, but the, the previous run's number one. Right. Which is really like just a continuity thing. I don't know. But where the black cat gets escorted out of a gallery viewing. Ever since then, she's been tracking her and tailing her through different heists and trying to pin her down. Because in her mind, if black cat exists, then she is just a pale imitation. But if black cat ceases to exist, queen cat becomes... The main cat. The main cat. <laughs> Which is kind of funny given the Queen of Alleytown parallels that are happening over in Catwoman. Yeah. I mean, in a way, like, I feel like this was a pretty good way to get readers semi-caught up to speed with Jed McKay's Black Cat run. Because I'm sure a bunch of people possibly just joined on for the King in Black stuff. Right. So this was like definitely a good way to be like, hey, here's a couple of the other awesome things that happened in my first run that was only 12 issues. And ironically, like, Black Cat, you know, is just coming off of King in Black, which is still ongoing, by the way. And Catwoman just got off of Future State. And they were both really, like, 
strong mm-hmm. previews for the series. The difference is that Black Cat is going strong. She's still her high spirits, crazy self. But right now we're focusing not so much on the Black Cat doing her Black Cat thing, but we're focusing on Queen Cat following her exploits and being told by a bunch of other characters you're not going to get one over on her. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we know this girl is insanely intelligent. Just a real wild card, so you can't pin her down. But Queen Cat doesn't care. She's clearly mentally disturbed. You know, overall, she just wants to be a hero. So she's running around town trying to pin her down. Her decision as a hero (laughs) to lure Black Cat to her house is to go find the old guy. Silver Fox, right? Yes. She finds him, she beats him up. I don't think that was originally her plan. I think she wanted to, like, kidnap him or startle him and steal um, Black Cat's loot. So she beats him. She steals Black Cat's stuff. So she's waiting for Black Cat to show up. She leaves her apartment. She comes back. Um, They're waiting for her. Mm -hmm. Black Cat's like, I worked really hard for this loot. I clearly am going to tag it. We were ready for you the minute you stopped moving. And Queen Cat's like, great, fantastic. And I just wanted to talk to you, and then I wanted to beat you up, maybe take you to jail. I don't know. (laughs) The Black Cat's really taking this well. She lets Queen Cat get a few hits in so that they can talk. (laughs) Queen Cat kind of vent about how, like, there can't be two of us in this town, and, Mm -hmm. you know, who am I if I don't stop you? I need to be Queen Cat, or else I am not a hero. I'm just that horrible person I used to be. It's really adorable. I love it a lot. But Black Cat lays out for her, like, you beat up one of my squad. And, yeah, she's just like, listen, most people wouldn't be cool with how crazy you are. I'm down with it. Like, live your life. This, however, you're going to be punished for. And then she beats the life out of her. When this girl wakes up... (laughs) By the way, the entire time, Queen Cat is writing in a diary to help her kind of keep track of who she is and what she's doing it's really easy to read i like it a lot Mm -hmm. but uh black cat actually writes in her diary (laughs) for her she says you know dear queen cat sorry about the sucker punch i like a good cat and mouse but a cat on cat amazing you didn't get me this time but you'll get me next time Mm -hmm. there can be two in this town because everyone needs a nemesis all the greats have one spider-man and venom mr fantastic and dr doom Wolverine and Sabretooth and Tony Stark and Bourbon. <laughs> and then she leaves a picture on the wall of um, her taking a, like a kind of a Polaroid selfie yeah. of like her with Queen Cat's unconscious body. <laughs> and it kind of leaves uh, Queen Cat in a great mood because she's like, now I have a nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, it was quirky, it was weird, it was maybe a little irresponsible, but it was overall kind of adorable. It was really enjoyable. Because here she is thinking, like, I'm going to kill her. We both hate each other. And then Felicia's <laughs> just here like, nah, this is great. Like, please be my <laughs> be my arch nemesis. Yeah, and she's clearly doing it for this girl. Yeah. Like, she doesn't see this girl as, like, a bad person. She doesn't want to hurt her. She doesn't want to get revenge on her. She gives her a love tap to knock her out. And she's like, there, you've been punished. Mm-hmm. But she basically lets this girl sort herself out and doesn't try to, like, high hand her or anything. Yeah. And I like that. I, I think that really fits her character. And it also kind of throws the reader for a loop, which mm-hmm. is like a typical Jed McKay thing where he sets up a familiar trope and he's like, here's the setup of the joke. Now I'm going to swerve and you're going to 
it'd be thrown off balance at the yeah. end. And I always love that. So that was uh, the standout from Marvel again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jed McKay killing it. He is so good. And, like, because I've been reading this Black Cat version of him. Mm-hmm. I've been reading the Avengers mech strike that he's been doing. Right. And I just read his King in Black Spider-Man one-shot. Exactly. That was amazing. That was like a solid five star. Nice. Five star out of five? Five out of five. All right. Five out of five, ten out of ten. Like, you don't even need to understand what's going on in King and Black to appreciate that. It was great. Nice. That leads kind of perfectly into some of our news. Nice. Uh, There's been a few developments. For one, New Gods and The Trench were both cancelled. Right. Ava DuVernay's uh, New Gods with Tom Keen. (laughs) (laughs) So she was trying to bring to screen um, some of Jack Kirby's New Gods, including... Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, Calabac, Darkseid, Highfather... The Furies. The Furies, Granny Goodness... So DuVernay isn't, like, fired-fired. She's still working at DC. She's working on the DC series Naomi for the CW. Which I thought was getting canceled as well. I heard that, too. Following the the Yara Floor one, the Wonder Girl one. But maybe they're like, no, never mind, we'll let you do this as long as you don't do this. Maybe? Or maybe like, she, they like, just don't want to shut down both her ideas at once. <laughs> do so mean. <laughs> Bring it down slowly. But listen, this was ambitious. The New Gods is a hard thing to pull off, and, like, the Furies alone. Pulling them off has been difficult in comic form without people going, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Can't even imagine the film. I wouldn't say there's mixed reviews of Zack Snyder's um, Dark Side. Dark Side (laughs) did pretty well. Yeah. But, like, he's just established, like, a look. He's established a certain level of mystery around them. Right, so they couldn't necessarily just completely change it. And, like, this was going to be a main villain, Darkseid. Darkseid is the leader of the new gods. Mm-hmm. So they said that since it just appeared as a major foil in Zack Snyder's Justice League, there was a desire to have space between the latter and any new appearances. Like, not just bring him on audiences right. again. Which, I don't know if that's, like, a legit reason. I think that like was it. just something they just tacked on, because you wouldn't just shut... Uh, production like this. <laughs> I do a, like the less instinct. Less than a week after. Yeah, they're like, um, so we're canceling this. Guess whose fault it is? Zack Snyder. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> I feel like there was a lot more to it, especially because she was working with Tom King, who his work with the New Gods was around his Mr. Miracle comic, mm-hmm. which I think was only like 12 issues, but that's the one that's been getting like a bunch of different awards and stuff for Right, well, for... that's the one that got him anywhere. Like, people like yeah. that. As opposed to like anything else he's ever done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, people liked um, Vision. Vision, which was what people compared the Mr. Miracle one to. Right. It's like you like them if you haven't seen that. That's all he writes. Right. If you've read Batman all the way through and then you read the Vision, you're like, oh, it's him again. And you read Mr. Miracle, you're like, oh, depression. Hello, darkness, yeah. my old friend. Like I would say, like if Batman came out before this, it would not be as acclaimed. Mm-hmm. I agree. Then he wouldn't have been working on Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, also canceled. The Trench, James Wan's Aquaman spinoff. I have mixed feelings about this. <laughs> it, he says, oh, it was going to be a horror-tinged project spinning out of Aquaman and focusing on a group of deadly amphibious creatures. But here's the thing. He said that about Aquaman number one. <laughs> and what did we see? Did he, he said it was going to be horror? Yes, he said it was going to be John Carpenter-esque. 
Really? Yes. John and Carpenter was horror? Uh, the Thing, The Fly? No, John Carter. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I have been thinking you said Carpenter for no, years. No! Are John, you sure? Yes, John Carter. I was looking for John Carpenter references <laughs> the whole time. No, completely different. The, the Disney film starring Gambit from the Wolverine movie. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to look it up. And if I find out that you're wrong, I'm going to rub your face in it in the next issue. You can. Episode. <laughs> so hard. I'm just assuming because it's too close in the name. I know I'm right. Look it up right now. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. James Wan pitched Aquaman as a horror monster movie. Aquaman director James Wan originally pitched the film as a horror monster movie inspired by John Carpenter and James Cameron. Okay. Gaslight me, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I just assume because it matched the same tone as his Aquaman movie. That even makes it more ridiculous now that we've seen it. <laughs> yep. I mean, you can see where there are elements that could be John Carpenter-esque. The deep sea can be a terrifying place. Does Pitbull's cover of Africa <laughs> count as John Carpenter-esque? It does if it's coming out of a talking hand. <laughs> now I have it playing in the background as like a soundtrack for this show. But yeah, so he's like, okay, maybe not this time, guys, you know, studio interference, but next time, absolutely. It'll definitely be horrifying next time. Mm. You know, the trench. Scary, awful creatures. Right. Probably best part of the movie. Yeah, so he was like, you know what? This was the only part of the movie that <laughs> I got to be scary. We're going to focus on this, and that will be my new project. Do it. Mm -hmm. Why not? Like, what if they invaded a small settlement where humans lived? Dude, that would rock. <laughs> It just could be awesome. There's a lot of things you can do. We just haven't explored in comics. Yeah. At least not in mainstream DC continuity um, in feature film land. So it would have been kind of cool to see what the trench could be. They're very animalistic yeah. and hungry and crazy. It could be interesting either way. Mm -hmm. It definitely has a lot of potential. I thought like the world building was fascinating, but we didn't get to spend enough time exploring all those worlds. No. However... He's already making Aquaman 2, and they were like, never mind, just focus on that. Right. There isn't enough demand for Aquaman to justify the trench. Mm -hmm. Which I think, you know what? Maybe if you put out the trench, there would be. <laughs> um, just saying, there's a lot of creatures under the sea, and he was exploring so many different kingdoms in rapid succession. I did not like Aquaman. <laughs> I know, but that was one of your favorite things about the movie. It was, was the best thing. All the different like kingdoms. I know. It's like when you see a uh, Green Lantern and they like have like a quick cut to a Blue Lantern. And you're like, wait, wait, go back. Yeah. Tell me about the Blue Lanterns now. <laughs> no. So they're they're like, this is a big world that is largely unexplored, and we can do a lot with this, mm -hmm. but we are not going to. You are going to get a boring Aquaman number two. <laughs> And we're probably going to have the same Mira as before, unless... <laughs> they listen? I was going to say, unless she's fat. Because <laughs> wasn't there a rumor that she was getting fired for being overweight? Right. You know what? That could be a malicious rumor. But could be. everyone ran with it. I am all for their recasting suggestion of Amelia Clark. 
I know you are. I love her so much. Plus, she had great chemistry with Jason Momoa. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, aside from, you know, because you've seen the fan edits of her dresses mirror with the red hair and everything, and it looks great, but yeah, she has amazing chemistry with him ever since Game of Thrones. Granted, that first season, just bad in- introduction, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Amelia Kirk has, like real Mira energy mm-hmm. because Mira is you know she's very passionate but also like terrifying oh in yeah a tiny little package and I just didn't really get that from the Mira that we got mm-hmm. she's very saltines level of flavor <laughs> like she's there but she's not there and I don't feel anything coming from her yeah and her chemistry with Jason Momoa was so bad. Really rough. It felt like they hated each other. I was really struggling to watch them. <laughs> um, which is probably why I was so interested in seeing the trench and, like, <laughs> the other people. Like, anyone but those mm-hmm. two. I just want a movie of a Julie Andrews creature. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get there? What's it like? Are you lonely? You had to guard a dead man for a long time. You know, these are the real questions. Who were those crab people? Sorry, we're spending way too much on this, but I hate missed opportunities more than anything. I know. So there was a lot of potential with Aquaman, and I, the more I talk about it, the more I want it, and I, the more I don't want Aquaman too. Listen, I don't hate Jason Momoa, but he's not Aquaman. No. And he never will be for me. That was my big thing too. Of like, I wanted to see Aquaman. I did not want to see Jason Momoa with Aquaman's powers. He's just one of those actors where I I do love the guy. I love the actor. I like him as a person. Yeah. I mean, he's just one of those guys. Like, it's like Will Smith. They play themselves. Yeah. So, speaking of (laughs) Will Smith, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you want to talk about the Suicide Squad trailer? Sure. How did you feel about that? So, the new one just dropped today. Like, the new, new trailer. I like that a lot more than the last one that we got last week. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm more excited for it now. True. The last one was definitely wackier. Mm-hmm. And longer. This one had a more serious tone to it. And you, I feel like you got to see a little bit more of the, the rest of the cast. Yes. I, I definitely liked seeing the chemistry more. The less time spent on Keen Shark's terrible CG, the better. <laughs> Listen, he's not terrible all the time, but just in certain lighting, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had a refresher sort of set up. Yeah, so just to give you guys a reminder, uh, we actually first covered a Suicide Squad cast during our 33rd episode when we were covering the DC fandom. So you're getting a couple of the same actors and actresses from the first Suicide Squad. Jai Courtney, Captain Boomerang, Marco Robbie, Harley Quinn. Uh, Joel Kinnaman, who's playing Rick Flagg, and Viola Davis, who's playing Amanda Waller. Then you're getting a bunch of the new characters. You have Pete Davidson playing Blackguard, who is originally a Booster Gold and Green Lantern villain. And <laughs> he doesn't really offer much but uh, super strength, gadgets, and a deal with Neron, the demon. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that's going to cross over here. I don't think so either. And then we have Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba. And there's actually been a couple versions of this character in comics. There's been three blood sports plus a female version called Demolitia. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it's a guy with, you know, peak human condition, hand-to-hand combat expert. He not only uses weapons, but he has a teleporter device that allows him to 
reach into like this warehouse and pull any type of weapon he needs. Dude, the dream. <laughs> it sounds really cool. I'm definitely for this. I'm I'm excited to see what he has to offer, even though he's pretty much dead shot replacement. So then we also have Peacemaker, played by John Cena. Right. Who I cracked up looking at when we were trying to find like who these people were. First of all, Peacemaker, he is also getting a potential prequel series for HBO Max. Right. We don't know if it's a prequel. We don't know if it's happening in current time with the Suicide Squad. They didn't give that information out. People think it's a prequel, so that way they can possibly kill him in the movie. Mm-hmm. This guy is a pacifist diplomat who is so committed to peace that he is willing to use force as a superhero to advance his cause. And he basically uses an entire array of non-lethal weapons. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming, like, because we see him with guns, so probably rubber bullets. I don't think that's going to happen because he, didn't he say he didn't care how many men, women, and children he had to kill for peace? Yeah. So this guy seems to be even more unhinged than in the comics and definitely not a pacifist. Well, especially since, too, in the comics, one of the reasons for him doing the things that he does is because he can't get over the fact that his father was a Nazi commander. Yeah, I don't think that's going to cross over. <laughs> it, it's just so wild to me. But yeah, so he's going to be in this and he is getting a lot more advertisement in the actual comics. Mm-hmm. He showed up for the Future State Suicide Squad. He is showing up in the current Suicide Squad comic as well, alongside Superboy. I guess just to try and make him a more well-known character in the Suicide Squad. I guess. For new readers. I just don't care. I, I don't like him. I'm, I'm curious, because I, I like John Cena. <laughs> and So then we have Savant, who is being played by Michael Rooker, who played Yondu in the Guardians of the Galaxy. And you actually knew Savant from the comics. He's from Gail Simone's Birds of Prey run. Um, he's this young, hot guy with, like, beautiful Fabio hair, but blonde. And they decided to put Michael Rooker in this terrible ramen-looking wig. <laughs> it just looks like he has top ramen running from his head. It's so gross. Please stop it. Savant is, like, a villain who is really good with computers He's sort of, like, peak physical condition. His mm-hmm. main thing is he has a weird brain. Like, he seems forgetful because uh-huh. he has a non-linear memory. Oh. So his memory is sort of distorted over a different period of time, such that, like, at one point he was tortured for weeks, but to him it seemed like days because he couldn't remember. Interesting. So he has, like, a weird memory. It makes him seem like he's not smart, but he's actually extremely brilliant. He's, of course, not as smart as Oracle. Mm-hmm. He's jealous of her. He was recruited and sort of reformed by them. But he has kind of like this weird way of enacting justice that kind of makes him more of a menace to be around than a, than okay. a friendly face. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, he had like one issue in the Suicide Squad. Just one. And it was enough <laughs> that he's going to be in the movie, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I think they're going to... Well, okay. I, I don't know if I should predict who I think they're going to kill off. <laughs> Go for it. So then next we got the Polka Dot Man, who is being played by David Desmalchin, who has been doing a whole bunch of work for both DC and Marvel between the Ant-Man movie, also showing up in the Flash TV show. Basically, this guy just has control over the Polka Dots on his suit. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he really just fits... 
the, the descriptions of what V feels is a great villain. Okay, so if you want to be in the rogues gallery, you need a really flamboyant costume. Check. Um, if you want to be in a live action DC like Gotham film, you need to have a certain look about you. It's it's kind of that narrow face, like haggard. I've seen things look. Yeah. And uh, you have to be familiar with lavish traps. And let me tell you something. Polka Dot Man is the guy. <laughs> He's kidnapped Robin and put him in a jail. He's used his dots to make gadgets that he can escape on, to make explosive weapons, and I want to see more of him. I want to see more of this particular version of the character, too. Mm -hmm. But I think I want to see him in comics more. Me too, because the only uh, rendition of him that I know is from the Lego Batman games, which, of course, like he doesn't have a speaking role. He's just a playable character. And yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see more of him. He's definitely one of the sillier ones, like Maxi Zeus or yeah. the Condiment yeah. Gene. If I could see more of um, Egghead, I yeah. would be really happy. <laughs> I want the hokey villains, thank you. <laughs> so next up we got Weasel, who's actually being played by James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn. This is actually the new 52 rendition of the character, where it's more animalistic. Normally, this guy, he just kind of puts on, like, the claws and a fursuit when he would do his massive murdering, and he was originally a Firestorm villain. Weird. Yeah. More so, actually, Professor Stein than Firestorm as a hero itself. Did he fail him in a class? You went to the same university of him, but He yeah. did! He failed him in a class! <laughs> oh my god. Oh, weasel. <laughs> then we have The Thinker, who is being played by Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who and many other things. And basically this guy is just super smart. Uh, the Thinker, as a character, was actually just recently seen in The Flash, the TV show. Looks completely different as well compared to the way Capaldi is playing him. Um, then we also have some guy called Javelin, played by Flula Borg. And this is a Hal Jordan... Green Lantern villain. This guy was an Olympic athlete who, for unknown reasons, became a criminal and basically just uses an arsenal of weapons that are based on spears. <laughs> That's his gimmick. <laughs> well, at least he knows what he's good at. <laughs> then we have the Rat Catcher 2, played by Daniela Mel- Melquire. Melchior? Basically, Ratcatcher 2 is a protege to the original Ratcatcher, which is normally a Batman villain, who just controls rats to do their bidding. Mm-hmm. And from the trailer, it kind of looked like she had a scepter that would do it. Yeah, something like that. She was actually looks like one of the more interesting characters that we've seen in the trailers. They definitely spent more time on her trying to develop an emotional beat. Mm-hmm. She seems like definitely one of the ones who's going to make it to the end. Yeah. We see that she is impoverished, kind of a waif, and sort of has protagonist voice in her lines. So she's, like, asking the questions, mm-hmm. being introduced. She kind of seems like she might take on the Will Smith role of, like, the everyman that the audience is supposed to relate to. She vaguely reminded me of Crazy Jane from Doom Patrol. Maybe it's just, like, the way that, like, she went about herself and, like, what we've seen in the trailers. Sort of, like, that lost girl sort of yeah. vibe. Yeah, yeah, I but get that. But still, like, kind of cool and collected in a way. I'm interested with that one. Then we have Mon Gal, played by Mei Ling Ning. Mon Gal, what a throwback. Right? 
haven't thought about Mongol in forever. I never even knew that Mongol had a sister. She's like in the superhero girls. Well. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> Who am I talking to? <laughs> Go ahead. No, I have nothing. It's just Mongol's sister that uh, he apparently killed. Yes. Which is um, the culture of Mongol. The son eventually kills the father and then just takes the father's name. Yeah, very barbaric. Uh-huh. And um, then we have King Shark who is being voiced by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I, I have a very soft spot for Sylvester Stallone. I love the Rocky movies. I love the Rambo movies. I loved Over the Top and Cliffhanger. He was a fan favorite at home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, but I kind of figured that out. <laughs> That's, that seems like your kind of movie. <laughs> but yeah, uh, King Shark, we've seen him in a couple renditions already between the Harley Quinn TV show, the... Lego Batman video games, the DC animated movie, Apocalypse War. Mm -hmm. He's been in a bunch of places, but he was originally a Superboy villain. Wow. Yep. But here's the thing. I I feel like it used to always be Killer Croc all the time. It was always Killer Croc. And, like, they've been phasing him out for King Shark for some reason. They just, they have to focus more on the other Apex Predator. <laughs> All right, that's that's a theory. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, he kind of was a hit in the Harley Quinn series. I think people have oh, been yeah. really warming up to King Shark. And it's funny, too, because each rendition that we've seen of him isn't really the original. What was the original? Well, the original, he was said to have been blessed by a Hawaiian goddess because, you know, it took place in a 90 Superboy comic, which took place in Hawaii. Of course. Kind of similar to the Solomon Grundy origin, where this, like voodoo witch or whatever but this case is polynesian hawaiian helped to give birth to this half man half shark and he was the protector of this hawaiian island oh and that was basically his thing like his get up it looked a little more polynesian and stuff like that i thought it was really cool he didn't speak and little by little he started getting more speaking roles throughout comics and the harley quinn tv show he's a basically a geek squad yes yes <laughs> they tried to like play the humorous angle where like you expect someone animalistic but he's actually very in touch with his feelings yeah and then we have here where he's kind of just that mindless drone and then we're also getting that Suicide Squad video game coming out next year mm -hmm. where they all go against the Justice League controlled by Brainiac. And this King Shark, he looks more human, but he actually does have some Polynesian tattoos and stuff on him. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm happy to see that they're kind of bringing it back. Yeah. Neat. And then um, we have two new characters for the film. Sol Soria, which is being played by Alice Braga. Most likely based off of this character, Juan Soria, who joined the Suicide Squad after getting rejected by the Justice League. And then we have this guy called TDK, played by Nathan Fillion. Stands for the Detachable Kid, because he is based off of a Legionnaire from the Legion of Superheroes called Arm Fall Off Boy. Well, he never <laughs> made it into the Legion. He was like a reject, right? Right. Yeah, so we got two rejects in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> I just love that, like, all he does is, like, dislodge any part of his body and control it however he needs to. <sighs> and apparently at one of the screenings for this trailer, there was a sensor over TDK's groin area. Mm. So. <laughs> I mean, just in terms of Suicide Squad sort of humor, that might yeah. happen. Yeah. 
But overall, I'm definitely more excited for this movie, especially because I, I feel like they did a better job of showing Starro. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was one of the biggest takeaways for this. I'm pretty excited. Like, Harley Quinn has sort of worn me down. Like, I'm kind of tired of her, mm -hmm. <laughs> honestly. I think a lot of people Not are. Not to sound like a basic bitch, because <laughs> everyone's tired of Harley all the time now. She's she's worn out her welcome, in my opinion. <laughs> Especially, like, when she's, like, running around and you have flowers blooming behind her. The psychedelics. That seems to be the thing, though, with the James Gunn movie itself, because they all have, like, some type of thing floating behind them. Mm. King Shark has, like, these weird jellyfish things. Polka Dot Man has his polka dot. So you think that's just for the trailer, it's not going to be in the movie? Right. It's in the movie, I'm going to be ticked. Because mm -hmm. in this, in the Birds of Prey movie, she did have some right. wild stuff happening around her that kind of distracted. Mm -hmm. Didn't look as cool as I thought it did. No. It was kind of lame. I think in the earlier renditions of this, I was kind of like, I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to watch it. I'm right. going to hate it. And now I think I actually might really enjoy this. Yeah. It seems to be fun, and it seems to have a lot of heart, which mm -hmm. is kind of what the last Suicide Squad was missing. Yeah. And yeah, Amanda Waller, terrible as always. I, <laughs> I don't think she needs to be good. Viola Davis does play her pretty, like, despicable, but, like, the last Suicide Squad that we saw her in, what made her terrible wasn't her morals, it was her stupidity. Like, right. you want her to be somewhat smart. Otherwise, this whole thing seems really lame. Exactly. So hopefully she lives up to the intelligence that she's supported to have. Mm -hmm. And yeah, with such a big cast, you have to imagine half of them are going to die off before the end. Yeah. But it is nice to see, like, James Gunn actually did his research for the Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, like, we get some deep cuts here. Aside from, you know, just this wild cast of characters, but he's gone on to say how he's read almost every issue of the Suicide Squad since the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Just for this movie. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad to see that type of dedication for something like this. Right, that's kind of rare. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of movies that we've seen have had a very surface-level understanding. Mm -hmm. And, like, obviously, like, he can't change some characters completely that we've already seen renditions of. Mm -hmm. Because this is still tied to the DCEU, which is why Zack and Deborah Snyder are getting executive producer credits. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to phase out the DCEU. I did hear someone say that Black Adam is kind of the future of the DC, and I don't know how true that is. I'd be curious because I'm pretty sure it takes place during World War II because the JSA are involved. Start from the beginning, build your way up. But Listen, JSA a... is pretty fun though. Yeah, because I think we were talking about this off camera, that we expect Dwayne Johnson to be a little comical, but I think it's going to be more so him reacting to whatever the JSA does. I think he could do a good straight man. He has. I've seen him play a straight man for Fast and the Furious. It, I'm expecting something between Hercules and Scorpion King. That's terrible. Don't ever <laughs> say that to me again. It's terrible, terrible, ominous. But here's the thing. If he has a good supporting cast, I think it'll work. Yeah. Especially if it's the JSA, because I love the JSA. I think they're mm -hmm. funny. They can be as quirky and chaotic as um, the Suicide Squad is supposed to be. <laughs> I think we're in good shape. Yeah. It really just comes down to having heart, mm -hmm. chemistry, and good dialogue. Because, like, the the plots are pretty simple, honestly. Yeah. They kind of write themselves. Mm -hmm. You kind of just have to focus a lot on the characters and the small moments, as opposed to the big set pieces. I mean, the big set pieces are important. You want to have something new and different. But I think we've seen enough of 
Superman trading punches with equally strong brutes yeah. to be like, yeah, that's boring. Mm-hmm. We really want to focus on the interpersonal connection and the humor and have a fun time because that's what we're paying for is yeah. to be entertained, not to be kind of drenched in darkness. Especially because it's already a different origin for Black Adam compared yeah. to how he normally is. So I'm curious to see how they do that and how they can tie it into what we know of him from Shazam. Yeah, it's definitely a more upbeat origin story. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm down for it. I'm excited to see how they use him trying to make a hero out of a villain. Yeah, which they've slowly been doing because again, it's the same thing with Peacemaker. They have Black Adam showing up a lot more in the comics. And now he's a part of the Justice League. Right. It's definitely a good way and a bad way to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'll be one of those things where we have to hold off judgment until yeah. we see more. Because right now we know absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And I like The Rock okay, but I, I'm not I like, like... The Rock. I'm not a diehard fan. So, like, if you tell me he's in this, I'm like, all right. <laughs> that's nice. I like him the same way I like Jason Momoa. I, I like their... What I've seen of them, I like them as a as a person, but... They fall into that, I'm just going to be myself on camera. Do you think he's going to do the crazy eye, one eyebrow raise <laughs> as he stares at these people? I feel like he's going to do it the first time he sa- he's told to say the magic word. He's just going to give the wizard that look. He better not. <laughs> That's it. All right, you know what? Let's just cut into comics. Okay. So next week, Joe, would you like to read off the DC comics that sure. we can expect? Sure. We got Batman number 107, where we are getting the introduction to Tinian and Jimenez's new character, Miracle Molly, who looks like an 80s mom that was very big into Richard Simmons' classes. (laughs) Why not? She has, in terms of outfit... It's like a, a weird vest thing, neon <laughs> cheetah print pants, the matching hair to boot. I know we blame Tinian, but like, let's be real, Jorge Jimenez needs to take some responsibility. Well, you know that, well, he does say that he helps create these characters. Listen, he, he is a great artist. Seriously, everything he's helped invent for the Tinian run has been a nightmare for the eyes. This Miracle Molly... And Ghostmaker especially just look like comic renditions of the Supreme line. (laughs) Ouch. That might be harsher than what I said. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Anyway, so for digital, we have Challenger to Super Sons, number 11. The Crime Syndicate, number 2. For Black Label Sandman Universe, we have The Dreaming Waking Hours, number 9. I will get caught up on that. The art is gorgeous. I've been meaning to, and I'm nine issues behind, but I'm going to catch up. <laughs> right now, uh, there's a nightmare walking loose in the world, basically creating havoc everywhere he goes. Daniel is the new dream. Of course, he still is. Sam and Universe is a thing you've told me I need to pick up, and it's, it's on my to-read list. It's difficult to get into, but I feel like with the new like Sandman Universe, it's kind of like a clean start. One day. Okay. <laughs> so then we have a new Green Lantern comic. We're not focusing on Hal Jordan anymore. Now it's uh, John Stewart. Wow. And a couple others. So this is going to be written by Jeffrey Thorne. He wrote the Future State Green Lantern, oh. which I didn't hear anything good or anything bad about. It wasn't like overly offensive, but it wasn't anything I would pay for. Mm, I gotcha. He also had a short story in Infinite Frontier number zero. He is writing Truth and Justice, 
the digital series. Uh, also wrote the King in Black Black Panther one shot, which I loved. Wow, that was another really great one. They've been nailing it with these one shots. Wow. So the art is going to be done by Batman and the Outsiders famous Dexter Soy. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how it goes. Oh no. That's <laughs> fine. It's fine. It's fine. You just need practice. You can do this. Mm-hmm. So the description says as this new Green Lantern series begins, the newly formed United Planets and the Guardians of the Universe hold an intergalactic summit to decide who can best serve and protect the cosmos from dangers. With the majority of the Green Lanterns called back to Oa, Jon Stewart arrives alongside Teen Lantern, Kelly Quintella, who was introduced from Bendis' Young Justice, whose powerful gauntlet could be one of the most powerful and unstable weapons in the universe. Because it's basically a hacked Green Lantern ring. Right. With the entire landscape of the universe in flux, is this the end of the Green Lantern Corps or a new beginning? I'm going to pick it up. I've really been wanting to find a good Green Lantern like comic Uh and I feel a little bit better with this one being Jon Stewart because that was my first introduction to Green Lantern because Mm. of the Justice League TV show right also I would like to see this new Teen Lantern character actually be written well yeah hopefully but um then we also have for Black Label Joker Harley Criminal Sanity number eight which I just feel it takes a lot longer to get these out because it's one of those giant black label right. like size books that you can't put in a comic box. It's pretty well liked though. It is. I mean, I enjoyed it. I've gotten bored with it. I've enjoyed it. I've gotten bored with it. I don't know. It's a weird one. It reminds me of Hannibal, the TV show. Oh, right. More of just like the crime scenes themselves. You, Artistic you'd have to re- staging? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Then we have Man Bat number three, which is a good series. The next Batman, Second Son, number one, that digital series being written by John Ridley is now being printed. Sensational Wonder Woman, number two. Suicide Squad, number two, which has Peacemaker and Connor Kent, Superboy, Smack on the cover. And The Swamp Thing, number two, being done by Ram V. Nice. Good memory. Um, Okay, so yeah, next week, Marvel comics that are coming out are Amazing Spider-Man, number 63. We're going to get the second America Chavez made in the USA. But she's an alien. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a liar, so it works out. <laughs> We're going to get the Avengers 44, which is going to be a follow-up on the um, cage match for everyone fighting for the Phoenix Force. Isn't this pretty much that DC <laughs> event that came out in 2015? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, what The Convergence. Yeah. Kind of, but it's it's more of a battle royale, I feel. First, everybody's paired up to fight each other. And it's not like, fight for your survival. It's fight for who gets the Phoenix Force. And, and even better, because you didn't get fancy costume changes <laughs> in the Convergence. But in the Phoenix Force version, it's like when everybody got symbioted. Yeah. Or when everybody is uh, Gwen Stacy. Um <laughs> No, this one, everyone gets a a Phoenix Force outfit to the point where I saw Ghost Rider's car on fire and thought it was a (laughs) Phoenix Force outfit. (laughs) Oh, the best one is definitely Black Panther, who does not look like Black Panther. He has a very narrow face, so it takes you a minute because he looks like a normal guy, Uh but he has a boob window. Yeah. Thank you, Phoenix Force, for that. We realized that he also has some other addendums to his outfit <laughs> that were not provided by the Phoenix Force. The man has vibranium, gr- <laughs> vibranium grill 
Or, like, no, his teeth were all taken out and replaced by a vibranium. Yeah, that's what it looked like. This man. This man has vibranium teeth. He, like, shows them off to Wolverine as they fight. <laughs> Who's the writer for this? Jason Aaron? Yeah. He has him, Wolverine, fighting with uh, with Black Panther, and, and he... <laughs> Black Panther just kicks Wolverine in the crotch, and Wolverine goes, Oh no, my goodies! <laughs> Special type of writing. Have you seen Jason, what Jason Aaron looks like? He looks like a guy that would call that my goodies. But also, Wolverine has flaming claws. Yeah. So it's not really so much of like a snick snick. You have to say flame on. <laughs> but also, for those of you who haven't been keeping up with the Avengers, like us... Um, the Phoenix Force is now claiming to be Thor's mother. Oh, that's right. They have, like, a, a Star Wars scene where it's like, <laughs> I am your mother. No! And uh, Thor is claiming that the Greek Titan Gaia is his mother. Which is also new to me. It's very new to me, too, because I could have sworn that Freya was his mother. No, the times there are changing. You have to <laughs> you have to stay up to date if you want to know what's going on in any comic. I'm also really glad that you took a look at that because I've been really interested to see what the Avengers are going into. Because <laughs> I've been like, you know, one day maybe I'll pick up the Avengers, but it never seemed like a good opportunity. Right. And now I know it's still not. <laughs> Listen, uh, boob windows on Black Panther. If that's what you're into, pick it up. <laughs> Also, if you ever wanted to see Wolverine say my goodies. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Avengers Mech Strike. That one is written by... Jed McKay. Jed McKay, and it is supposedly an amazing story. It is. Joe's been reading it. It's a fun time. Basically, any young boy who grew up watching Transformers or just wanting their favorite superheroes to have giant robot of themselves. I cannot relate. Um, Conan the Barbarian number 10 came out. Um, we also have Excalibur number 20, The Immortal Hulk number 45, and we're going to get the last issue of Keenan Black number 5, The End of an Era. This is one of those few events that actually, like, hit. Yeah, it was really, really good. And I still need to pick up that Absolute Carnage event to understand, like, some of the things I may have missed. It's interesting, man. I'm, I highly recommend it. Just for the art alone, too, from Stegman. Yes, it's really good art. Um, we're also going to get Keenan Black, Planet of the Symbiotes, number three. We're going to get Marauders, number 19, Runaways, number 35, and Squadron Supreme, Marvel Tales, number one. This will be collecting Avengers titles from 1963, numbers 69 through 70, and 85 through 86. We're also going to get Star Wars The High Republic, number four, which... Uh, it's definitely been causing a stir <laughs> in uh, the fan world. Uh, Venom number 34 is coming out, and eventually I will read that. Eventually. It's way down on my list, I but mean, it's on my list. The one issue of Venom I read to tie into Kingdom Black, that sucked. Really? Yeah. It wasn't written by Donnie Kitts? It was. Really? Yeah. Donnie. But the way I brush it off is like he put all of his focus on Thor and King in Black, like the main title itself. It's no excuse. <laughs> so that's basically what we have. Um, Joe, did you have an event that you wanted to talk about? Yeah! So for those of you who were with us last week for our cover of Golden Age Batman with our friend of the show, Jedi Josh, 
I actually just showed up on his YouTube channel a couple days ago to talk about the first issue of Action Comics, which neither of us have ever read before. Was it good? It was an experience. <laughs> I really did not know what to expect. Not a completely different take on the origin, but there was no Smallville and there was no Mott and Pa Kent. Really? Yep. So, do you know when this is airing? It is already live. Really? Yep. And I haven't watched it. Nope. Well, I gotta end this recording so I can go see it. Where, <laughs> where are we seeing it? You can watch it on Jedi Josh's uh, YouTube channel, Nerd Chat Comics and Culture. You can also follow him on Twitter to stay up to date. It is Jedi Josh NC, which stands for Nerd Chat. And he also does a bunch of Twitch streams at Jedi Josh underscore NC. Good to know. Thank you for that plug-in. I'm very excited to see how you stand up on YouTube. I will definitely listen to it because I want to hear all about this. <laughs> In the meantime, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Outlets podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comics you want us to cover next week and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. Thank you. Take care.